Welcome to Simulator Review, helping you find quality flight simulation with the world's most comprehensive listings and reviews of simulators. A warm welcome to episode 13 of our podcast for the flight simulation community. My name is Alexis, and as always, I'm joined by my two colleagues from simulatorreview.com, Andrew. Hi there. And Elliot. Hello. Welcome back to our regular listeners. It's great to see you coming back to the podcast. And a warm welcome to any new listeners who are joining us. If you want a great introduction to who we are and what our website, simulatorreview.com, has to offer... I can recommend episodes one and two of the podcast. In this episode, we are going to have a chat about one of our recent articles, and it's on the subject of the recent accelerated retirement of the 747 Jumbo. We will also have a special guest joining us today to join in our discussion, so more on that later in this episode. First, though, our regular simulator news updates, covering news at simulatorreview.com and in the wider simulator community. And as usual, we go over to Elliot for this. Hi Elliot, what sim news have you got for us this episode? Uh, so we've got a couple of items for you. First one, we've become aware of a new simulator that's opened up and uh, that's called Airline Experience and it's a, a good looking venue. It's uh, based at Fair Oaks Airport, so it's a nice GA airport, uh, very close to London. Uh, good access links, uh, lovely cafe on site and a, a very busy general aviation buzz and atmosphere going on there. It's a fixed-based 737 simulator, where we believe, and it's run by a group of airline pilots on a variety of Airbus, Boeing and Embraer aircraft. And it looks like their slant is they're promoting themselves and the experience of being with an airline pilot, authenticity in the, that respect. So we look forward to visiting that venue and we hope to have James, the, uh, the owner and the, uh, the sim creator there on a future podcast. Great. Well, it's good to see uh, another venue being uh, added to the directory and uh, hopefully a review coming in due course. And uh, as you say, I think we should have James, the owner, in a couple of weeks' time on our podcast to discuss his experience in uh, building his sim, which will be an interesting episode, I think. Yeah, I think that'll be quite interesting for people who are perhaps out there looking to do it themselves or just interested in wondering what's involved when it comes to setting up one of these simulators and venues. So hopefully we can talk to James about the setup, his ideas and some of the experiences and troubles he may have had. Great. So um, any other news this week, Elliot? Yeah, I'll probably pass over to Andrew for a further comment, but we're now on YouTube. So we've been doing this podcast for a little while now and uh, we've been slowly expanding the media that we're on and uh, we finally made it to YouTube. It's been a bit of a bit of a wait to get on there hasn't it Andrew? It has so we've as you say we've uh, finally made it, it it's uh, tentative steps for us on YouTube in that we're just providing the audio file from the podcast recordings and uh, so we can reach a different audience out there quite a few people uh, and we do this ourselves we'll often listen to YouTube a bit of a background a bit like a podcast but you, they just prefer the YouTube platform. And so we wanted to better find some uh, some more audience, I guess, or uh, reach a, a different audience group 
with the podcast that we, re- that we uh, have released, which is number 12 uh, out there uh, as of this recording. So it'll be interesting to see how the analytics go on that and see if we pick up a few new customers. Uh, that's that's right, Andrew. I sit there with YouTube open in the background while I'm doing work on the computer, just listening mm. away. So I think it's a very useful medium to have our podcast onto. Yeah, I, th- I think it uh, hopefully just add a little bit more to the reach for the for the business. And I think later too, we want to get into some of the video work with YouTube. That's obviously a big step up for us. So it's really tentative to see if there is any demand for our product, and uh, it's. It's really using the material we've already released to the world. And with Alexis and his uh, social media prowess, we hopefully will be able to interact a little bit more with our customers on that as well. I'd be interested to see what everybody thinks. Do they want uh, a video feed for our podcasts? I mean, I've always been told I've got a face for radio. Well, yeah, we've um, kicked that idea around a few times about, uh, or first of all, any live feeds that we may or may not run in the future and YouTube's a natural platform for that but also providing a video as a whole type of new media for our podcast uh, we've been reluctant uh, to do that so far but uh, you know if there was a crying demand from our fans out out in the world, wide world it's something we would look at but um, maybe in the new year sometime we could look at trialing something on that. And in addition to appearing with the podcast on YouTube, we're now revisiting some of our blue pin venues and putting some video work up there. So hopefully YouTube is going to bring a new dimension to some of our featured venues and reviews. Yeah, we think we can provide a bit extra value for, you know, those venues who have gone through the trouble to set aside time, set aside simulator time for us to come and visit and see their setup. Uh, you because it's such a, a visual business, uh, flight simulation, to enable us to reach a few more people with some video work we thought would be certainly worth trialing. There are a couple of places we've been to and will be released shortly. We're very, certainly very open to that, and it'll help our customers visually see, in addition to all the words and the photographs we have, uh, what it's like there, meet the owner, hear from them directly. Uh, hopefully it'll bring a a value add not only to the venues but people reading our material and actually getting you know spending their money where they think they're going to get the greatest value excellent so we um hope to have 737 pro up very soon and also simulator adventures the full motion a320 simulator uh in manchester so let us know what you think of the videos when you see them thanks elliot and thanks andrew and uh, thanks for the news on this podcast This week's main topic is a discussion about a recent article on our site which talks about the recent accelerated and abrupt early retirement of the 747 from British Airways and from Virgin Atlantic in the UK. Due to recent events, both airlines have decided to withdraw and retire their present fleet with BA retiring 31 Jumbos and Virgin their 7. The original 747 was first introduced in 1970 BA in particular has been closely associated with it, and in terms of the 747-400, it has been the flagship of the fleet for many years. BA originally had a fleet of 57 arriving from 1989 to 1998, and BA were the largest operator of that aircraft. This is certainly a very significant event in aviation and for any avgeek. To discuss the 747, we wanted to have a guest who has considerable experience flying them, and we welcome our special guest, Chris, to the podcast. 
Chris is a commercial pilot based in the UK, having flown both short haul and long haul on the 737 and the 747. In particular, he's been flying the 747 for a number of years now, so he's certainly well qualified to talk about this. Welcome, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. So, your background on the Jumbo, if you can let us know, how many years have you been flying on it now and how many hours have you accumulated on it? So I've been flying it for four years, just a smidge over four years now, and it's working out roughly about eight to 900 hours a year. So it's going to be around or just over 2,500, according to the logbook. And was it an aircraft you really wanted to fly and wanted to, to actually have under your belt? Oh, of course. It's one of those dream aircraft, you know, as kids look out of the window and think about aeroplanes, you know, you think of jumbos and things like that as opposed to 7.3s or 7.2s or 3.20s. Yeah, I don't think there's another aircraft I can think of that really holds that kind of appeal to people who really like to fly and like to look at aircraft like the 747. Even the A380 now, fair enough, it's bigger. But um, to me, at least, it's just there's not a great deal to uh, to love about it, I'm afraid. You were flying short haul and 737s before that, so... How did you find it going from a narrow-body aircraft to a wide-body 747? Yeah, so I've done the 737 for just over eight years. Most people described going from the 73 to the 74 as fairly straightforward. They just described the 74 as a big 737. You know, both designs were back in the kind of late 60s, so had fairly similar cockpit layouts. You know, I sat in it for the first time and kind of felt at home most of the buttons and switches were all in the same place the mcp panel all looked exactly the same the handling characteristics are kind of the big difference you know you're up at nearly 30 feet i think off the ground compared to the 7.3 where it's closer to maybe 10 or 12 and of course you've got a lot more momentum you know you've got just just shy 400 tons at max takeoff weight going down the runway at a uh, out of Cape Town or somewhere like that, fully loaded. One of seven three, it was closer to seventy tons. So there's a big difference there. It's just how would I describe it? Almost like going from a, a Fiat Panda or something like that to driving a, a big lorry or something. It's you know you just got to take your time with it a little bit more, and it just it does reward you. I mean, if you asked me what I prefer, stick me in the jumbo any day. You know. We spend the majority of the time in the cruise. It handles turbulence. It just, it's just comfortable. It sits there. It flies fast. And the 7.3, well, it's a little bit less forgiving. But, yeah, 7.47 any day. So you've talked about how it handles and the things you've experienced with it, and in particular the momentum of the aircraft compared to the smaller ones. What are the kind of handling characteristics you found were presented a bit more of a challenge in the 747 compared to the 737 so what i found that i didn't like on the jumbo was a crosswind you've got obviously you've got the four engines and those inner two the strong crosswind it's just so easy to potentially strike one of the nacelles if you look back on youtube at some of the kai tak videos at the old airport where they're coming in you know some of the cathay 74s there They've uh, certainly got some interesting uh, videos of uh, those guys handling the crosswind. Other than that, that was the major 
the major big difference that I really noticed, to be honest. The 7.3 was a, a little bit more slippery than the Jumbo, but, you know, both of them have decent speed brakes on them, so if you need to get down and slow down, you know, it's certainly possible. And if in doubt, you just throw the gear out. I was lucky enough to fly a 747 full motion simulator a few times in the last couple of years, and one of the other things I noticed in particular was the pitch power couple, which you don't really see on the 737, and the thing that you've mentioned as well, which was the crosswind, which you really had to make some inputs into the control wheels if you were trying to take off in a crosswind, because it would start to try and move once you got past 80, 90 knots. Yeah, that 747 wing really does like to fly. As you know, when you're training on it, they do tell you, you know, keep flying it while you're on the runway because a strong gust, you know, it does really like to move. Yeah, I think I was caught up by that once trying to land in a crosswind and I had that moment where I landed and you think it's all over and then the instructor next to me was kind of prompting me. It's like, no, no, you need to put the, you need to, you still use the yoke to fly into the wind, otherwise you'll uh, you'll start flipping over. Yeah, and that was the one thing you could do with the 737, just touch it down and just forget about it. It was kind of, it was on the ground, it was, it stopped flying, but the 74. Yeah, you know, you you notice it at 80 knots on a strong windy day that the the wing just picks up. It just creates so much lift. And we're lucky in that Andrew is a triple seven pilot. So it's interesting. We've got seven three seven experience here. We've got seven four seven experience, and we've got triple seven with Andrew. Are there any things that you probably notice out of what Chris says that may apply to the triple seven, or does the triple seven tend to handle these things a lot better, like crosswinds and things like that? I think the triple being the next gen up again, it, it's started to automate more of that type of thing. Pitch power, particularly, it's uh, you know it, it basically looks after all that for you and how it's, it's dealing with that. But again, like all the Boeings, assuming Airbus is similar, you got to when you're rotation just coming through that 10 degrees, you've got to deal with that. Um, but the auto throttle is probably the biggest thing. Uh, jumbo wise, it's got to be disconnected on the landings and so forth. The seven uh, triple at least you can fly that right down and it's, uh, you know, it's very reliable. It, it will catch you out occasionally, but it's a very reliable system. But again, you've got to fly that aircraft. Uh, you know, you can touch down, but it's a it's a big frame. It's a, it's a big fin. And if your wind's going across you, it'll start moving that aircraft around. So again, not as much compared to jumbo by the sounds of it, but you do have to be flying that aircraft all the way as you're slowing down. Uh, one thing, though, I guess is a big difference. We never had to worry about the uh, pod strike. If you're striking a pod on a triple, I mean, that's uh, that's some bank you've got on there and uh, things are not going well. So that's probably one of the biggest differences, I, w- I would assume, is we really don't have the twins. You don't really have that issue. If you're striking pods, your day is, is not going well. And I guess is the other difference with the 777 is that you've got two very powerful engines. Is it more difficult, do you think, in terms of managing speed in that, especially when you're descending, compared to a 747, do you think? Uh, it'd be interesting to know, I mean, trip, triple can be pretty slippery, but again, you can make it quite draggy as you need to. Um, I think in terms of, so for example, an engine failure situation, you've got a lot of uh, momentum change as it yours around its axis as it's losing energy from one side compared to the next. And I always thought on jumbo, this is from a conversation Chris and I were having the other day, I thought jumbo, ah, you barely notice it. But he made a really interesting point in terms of the outboard engine. You lose that, and it's a huge change in energy. I might hand over to Chris at this point, how that, uh, compared to the inboard engine. 
yeah, so once we practice these things in the simulator over and over and over again every six months, and they did a demonstration for us about a year ago with an engine failure sort of at V1 with an inboard one and an outboard one, both of them exact same failure, so severe damage. The inboard one barely noticed there was a little bit of a swing, but nothing, you could have literally sat there and done nothing, not stuck any rudder in, and you'd have still flown away barely noticing. You have an outboard though, that really likes to throw a kick. You know, if you're at max takeoff weight, so pretty much the engines are at full whack and you're heavy and at a slow speed, you know, it can really throw you about, really got some power in it. Yeah, I think one of the things I was lucky enough to experience was doing that in the in the full motion simulator and it was interesting with the outboard engine, if that failed, you really did have to put some input in. The other thing that one of the instructors threw at me once, which was interesting, was um, we were trying the Canarsie approach, and he failed. Initially, I think he failed the number three engine, and then he also failed the number four engine as well. There wasn't really much rudder authority left after I was trying to keep it uh, straight, basically. really didn't. If I'd have let the pressure off the rudder, it would have just rolled very quickly. Yeah, and we've got, there's a special procedure uh, about altitudes that you have to essentially commit or go around to if you're doing the uh, dreaded two-engine approach on the jumbo, um, purely because with the amount of drag and the amount of thrust available that you can sort of exceed the, the handling speeds and lose so much authority on the uh, on the rudder there. Yeah, I landed, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Was there anything you didn't really like on the Jumbo, or was it in terms of both flying it as being a pilot and the environment you're in, the cockpit, and also the handling characteristics? Um, so it's quite noisy. I'd say noisier than the 7.3. You know, if you're trying to get a little bit of rest during the flight, then it can disturb you a little bit. Um, but again, if you ask me what I'd prefer the 747 above a thousand feet and the 737 below a thousand feet just because i think the 737 is just easier to put where you want it but for 99 percent of the uh, work that we do in it the jumbo is just better so it's obviously quite a sad time over the last few months with all the events happening but especially in terms of the jumbo being retired and seeing so many of them parked up being ready to send off to scrap so I suppose the only thing we can look at is to say the positive that we had the 747 for so long and enjoyed it for so long. But I think it all seems to be twin jets from now on. So is that likely to be your next move then, Chris? Yeah, I think um, it seems a lot more sensible um, to potentially go to, say, if I have the choice, the 787 or the 350 rather than, say, the, the 380. It's cheaper, isn't it? If it all comes down to, to fuel and fuel eventually gets more and more expensive, then... You know, those twin jets are just going to be so much cheaper than those jumbos. I mean, a 777-300 can lift as much as a jumbo can, essentially, cargo-wise. I remember coming out of Hong Kong one night and having virtually identical payload uh, to the jumbo that was ahead of us. Yeah, I was just trying to think of some figures. So, what, 380 tonnes is what we take off, uh, probably max takeoff weight, and you burn in about 10 tonnes of fuel an hour, maybe eight in the cruise if it's favourable. Yeah, so the triple's lifting off at just around about 340 for the uh, 300 version, so it's very similar. It'll be interesting to see how the X, uh, where the triple X will, will do, how it'll fit into that market, particularly with everything going on, to see if it's going to fulfil the role that was sort of planned for it before everything started to kick off. 
Uh, with Jumbo, sorry, with Jumbo 2, do we see uh, purely speculation in terms of the freighter side of operations? Uh, obviously, the 8s sold quite well as a, uh, the freighter variant as opposed to the passenger variant. Do we see the 400s or these older models continuing on as a freighter operation? I think some of them have. So I think some of the Virgin ones have already been sold off to one of the freighter companies to convert. So certainly with ones which are relatively young, you could certainly see them having a usable life afterwards. And as as you said, Andrew, there's not a great deal of competition when it comes to large freighters. It's the triple or the 747. Mm, yeah, I mean, you've got the slightly lower capacity of 7.6s and then down to 7.5s, but uh, well, perhaps you'll see competition coming from the 380 secondary market on that. I mean, if they're able to develop something that's economical. But, yeah, there's, there's very little wide-body competition for the Jumbo, at least, which would be great still to see it flying if it's only uh, carrying the boxes around. So I think one of the things we were talking about as well before this was the number of simulator venues which have 747s, and there are really not very many of them. So I think there's only about six or seven in the database. Is that right, Elliot? Yeah, I think we've got six in the database. So in the UK, we've got a couple. Um, there's a couple in Germany. And uh, we also know of um, one in uh, Australia as well, near Perth. So actually, there's three in the UK uh, that we know of. So yeah, there's not, not many compared to, you know, we've got over 250 entries in the database. And for six of them to be jumbos is quite a small proportion. Yeah, I wonder if people will perhaps try and seek out them at the moment and have a last chance or two to fly on a jumbo simulator before they probably are retired as well. And you've had the good fortune to fly the SimFest simulator, Elliot, so it's a shame that as a member of the public you can't do that, but it's certainly a very high-quality simulator, I think. Yeah, we we always use SimFest as our gold standard, and apart from a select few other venues that we've been and visited we always compare um, to, to SimFest and their Jumbo Simulator, which all, always comes out very favourably there. So, yeah, very, very fortunate to be uh, afforded the opportunity to have a go on it. And it, that is really, really good machine. It simulates virtually every system on the aircraft. I believe the uh, toilet is also now plumbed in in the uh, SimFest Simulator. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good simulator. Great. Well, a good discussion there about the Jumbo and certainly a sad time to see this wonderful aircraft being retired. Thank you to Andrew and Elliot, as always, for joining the discussion and a special thanks to Chris for joining us as our special podcast guest. We'll have more episodes covering our articles in the future, so do keep an eye out for those. So there you go, an interesting chat about the Jumbo and the 747 simulators in our directory at simulatorreview.com. Also, do have a look at the article on our site. There are some photos and videos on there that I have taken over the years as well. So what do you think? What are your thoughts on the Jumbo? Have you managed to fly one of the 747 simulators we have listed in our directory? And if so, how did you find it? We'd love to hear what you thought, so do let us know. In our next episode, we'll have a look at another of the simulator venues which we visited and which now has a blue pin featured review in our database. Specifically, 737 Pro in Blackpool in the UK, and their fixed base 737. We'll be going into the background on our review and some discussion of our thoughts on the simulator and the venue. 
So I hope you'll join us again for that in two weeks' time. In the meantime, please do subscribe to the podcast. We're available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and quite a few other podcast services. And please do leave us a star rating and review. For now, though, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Andrew. Goodbye. And goodbye from Elliot. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Simulator Review Podcast. We would love your feedback, so please do comment and rate us. Please follow, share, like and subscribe on all our social media channels where you can see regular updates on new simulator listings and reviews, as well as our latest articles. Until next time, happy simming.